Uh, like Brian said, this is part two of a message that we started last week called Old Pass for a New Year. And if you missed last week or any of the weeks, uh, you can always go to redemptionaz.com, click on the Gilbert Congregation and go find our sermons there. Or if you uh, have our app, there's an easy way to access our sermons there and you can kind of see where we've been. But if you, if you were with us last week, you remember we started a, a two-part series just kind of looking at the ways that we can keep in step uh, with God, and especially in this new year, uh, like Brian was saying earlier, we're a lot of making a lot of kind of uh, resolutions. We're trying to kind of do things a little bit better than maybe what we did last year, and, and maybe this this year, life with God is 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 one of those ways, one of those places. And and so we have these kind of tried and true old paths that Christians for generations have walked, where and they've left this well worn path for us to walk in as well. And last week, the fundamental principle that we kind of sat on for a while was what you think about determines what you love and what you love is what you chase. What you think about determines what you love and what you love is what you chase. And so the question that we had to ask ourselves was, what is my mind set on? Because what my mind is set on is what I'll ultimately pursue. And the best way for us to stand firm in the face of temptation is to have our mind loaded with the truth of God and have our mind set on the spirit or set on the things above. And so I want to talk this morning about very practical ways that we can structure our lives, um, that we can be on a path that is in step with God and the way that he's prescribed for us to live for our joy and for his glory, which kind of connects to a second principle that we used last week, which was the principle of the path, not original with me, um, but it's the principle that says it is direction, not intention, that leads to destination. So a lot of us have intentions in the new year, and we want to. We have intentions to improve, maybe physically or financially or relationally or spiritually. But it's when we take actual steps in a direction that's going to determine what our destination is. It is direction, not simply intention, that leads to destination. And so if we take those two principles and we kind of marry those things together and then we look at, okay, well, how do I actually do that? This morning, we're going to look at a really practical kind of five paths that will lay out for us how how we can uh, set our minds in a way that will lead us uh, to the direction, to the destination that God intends for us. So let me pray and ask God to help us this morning. Father in heaven, I just thank you for what you allowed us to confess already together through singing. And God, I just, as I was singing, especially those last couple songs, I, God was really just struck with what if, what if this church um, actually put to practice the things that we sang this morning? What if they were more than, than lyrics to songs, but they were the actual anthem of our heart and of our lives? And so God, I pray that you would incline our hearts and our minds to do that which we're singing about, to really believe that which we're singing. God, I also am asking that by the power of your spirit, you would incline and attune our hearts to your scripture and to your word this morning. God, would it, would it be like apples of gold to us? God, would we see it as uh, a light to our path? Would we see it as life? I think of Peter when he says to you, Jesus, where else would we go? You have the very words of life. So, God, this morning, I pray that the scripture is to us what Peter recognized. God, that you, that we see you, that we see the very words of life this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move with freedom 
and God, that you would bring conviction where necessary, encouragement where needed. Um, God, that you would just illuminate this for us. Jesus, I love you so much, and uh, I pray that you are made much of in this time. And I ask all this in your name. Amen. For the past 14 years, usually in the fall, Apple will do this kind of keynote presentation where they roll out new products that they have. And a lot of times they'll roll out a new iPhone. Now, when you watch this presentation, you can watch them online, you very rarely, if ever, will see them take that iPhone and go to the beach and say, the new iPhone is incredible at digging in the sand. And they'll start there to dig there in the sand at the beach. Nor will they ever say, the new iPhone is amazing for spreading butter on warm toast. Now, you can do those things with your iPhone. Some of your kids have done those things with your iPhone. Um, but that is not the intent. They know that the highest satisfaction is experienced and the greatest potential is achieved when that iPhone is used according to its created intent. And it's the same thing with everything in life. Fish is most free when it swims. Bird is most free when it flies. And if you and I want to be most free, it's not the absence of boundaries, which is what culture teaches us, that just go and do whatever it is that you want to do, be with whoever you want to be with, be what you ever, whatever you want to be. It's not the absence of boundaries. Freedom is the ability to fulfill created intent. Freedom is the ability to fulfill created intent. John Piper is a pastor and author, and he has said this about Christian freedom, and I've always, this has always been very helpful to me. He says, freedom is the ability to do what I ought to do, and when I want to do what I ought to do. So what he's saying there is that freedom is the ability to even do what I ought to do, and it's when I want to do what I ought to do. And if I do that, then I'll have a life of meaning and purpose. And to know what that is, I have to see what it is that the Creator says about my life. And we're going to start in the book of Genesis. So if you have a Bible, go to Genesis chapter 1, right there at the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a hard copy, you can, again, you can be using a, something like the Bible app there. But Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2 kind of gives us the status of what's happening in the, in the cosmos at this time. Genesis chapter 1 verse 2 says this, now the earth was formless and empty. Your, your version might say void, formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So we have words like formlessness, we have words like empty, void, darkness, all kind of connotating a negative situation. Formlessness means that there was a lack of structure. Void is a lack of substance, so there's nothing there. In, in Hebrew, it's two words, tohu and bohu, which sounds like a clown duo, but it's not. Tohu means no structure, no form. It's chaotic, it's confusing. Bohu means emptiness, desolation, no fullness, no light. But then God begins to exert himself on this problem. The Spirit of God moves, and within three days, you see God build sea, air, and land, all structures that support life. And then the next three days, he takes those structures that he designed and he built, and he begins to fill them. Birds for the sky, fish for the sea, animals and humanity for the land. So God solves tohu and bohu by bringing form and fullness. 
a structure that supports life. And after all of that, he puts us in it and he puts us in this structure um, where we can enjoy the world that he's created. It's not a stifling structure. It's one that promotes the pursuit of intimacy with him. In Genesis chapter 2, you can switch over to Genesis chapter 2, uh, God, there's an issue there. Verse 5, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth and there was no one to work the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living being. So there's nobody there to work the ground. God creates man, he creates woman, he instructs them to be fruitful and multiply, which yes, does mean have children. Thank you, Jesus. But it goes way further than that. Look at chapter two, verse 15, what God uh, says there. He says, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it to cultivate. It means to exert your energy, ability, talents, resources, to remove things that impede growth and to bring structure that makes living things fruitful. It's what you do in a garden. Like if you ever walked by one of those little trees that's tied to sticks, that tree is not being punished. They put, they put those sticks there so that the tree will grow in the best possible way. It's a structure for that tree to grow and to flourish. And what God is saying to humanity is he's saying, I want you to do what I have done. You're made in my image. I've built forms for the sake of fullness, structure so that life can flourish. And now you do the same. And this is what the Bible teaches that humans are to do. And it transcends every sphere of life. It's for men and women. Take the gifts that you've been given, the time, the talent, the resources, the ability, the opportunities, the vocations, the energy that you have. Create environments where life can flourish. And it, and it permeates through every category of your life. As a husband, I'm to use my time, my energy, my resources so that my wife can be fully alive uh, under God like she's meant to be. As a dad, I use all that I've been given so that my children can flourish for the glory of God and their enjoyment of him and for the good of humanity. And whatever role you have in the home, in your community, in your occupation, that is what you are meant to do. Create environments and structures where humanity can flourish. Now, that whole idea right there needs its own message. It actually needs its own series. But I want to drill down on that as it pertains to your personal walk with God. Because in Genesis chapter 3, if you're not familiar with the story, chaos enters our story. Because the enemy deceives us, we take a step away from the altar, the author of life, and this beautiful structure that God creates that allows humanity to flourish, that allows the world to flourish, collapses. And people begin to pursue selfishness, and a community unravels. But into that darkness, God sends his son, Jesus. Jesus takes up his calling as a man in the image of God, brings and builds a kingdom, a structure and a system of rule, not one that stifles, but, but one that actually sets us free, one that actually takes our shame um, and, and buries it in the grave, that takes our sin and separates it as far as the east is from the west, a structure where we are adopted as children of the king and liberated to use our gifts for the glory of God. He's building a structure where we can flourish and we're meant to join in that. All right, so last week we had this idea that we want to move away from things that lead to chaos and death and walk towards things that lead to life that, so that I can enjoy intimacy with God and use what I have for the good of others. So we need a structure to our lives for the sake of flourishing. I've got five things that I want to share. These are extremely simple things. They're not very creative. They're not exactly like brilliant things. They're very kind of normal 
things. They're not things that I've invented. They're things I've either read or heard somewhere else. So there's just going to be a very kind of normal kind of outline. If you came here because you wanted to hear the theological atom split, you're going to be really disappointed this morning. Um, But Tyler's back, and he'll be back on the platform soon teaching Malachi. So you'll get that soon from him. I want to look at practical, positive ways for us to pursue intimacy with God. Again, we said this last week, this is not about earning approval or acceptance, because as a follower of Jesus, you already have that. But this is how do I structure my life in 2020? How do I structure my life in such a way that that promotes intimacy with my creator? All right, so I've got five things, five paths, and they all start with a P. So if you were raised Southern Baptist like me, you're excited about the alliteration. Okay, the first P, the first path is the path of a productive schedule. The path of a productive schedule. Before God put content in, he built structure and we're meant to do the same because a lack of preparation will lead to unproductivity and stress. The past couple of years, I've really noticed when people uh, start to ask me how things are going, I have one word that seems to always come up, and it's busy. How's life at work? It's busy. How are things at home? It's busy. How are things in your mind? Busy. And it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm being productive. It just means that usually there's a lot of distractions, a lot of disruptions, a lot of bad decisions and kind of things that aren't very strategic that I've included in my life. And it really just means I'm moving a thousand miles an hour in a thousand different directions. My life looks like an octopus on roller skates. A lot of movement, but not necessarily in a direction. Um, It it needs a little bit of what Clyde Beatty discovered. Clyde Beatty was a lion tamer, I'm sure you guys all know this, uh, who who was born in Ohio in 1903. And what Clyde uh, did as a teenager is he ran away to the circus and he got a job cleaning cages. But then he started his own act where he would bring dangerous animals like lions and uh, tigers and hyenas in. um, And and Clyde actually became very famous for one thing, uh, not getting eaten. You see, Clyde was able to live to the age of 60 when most lion tamers were being kind of destroyed and mauled by uh, the lions. And, and Clyde had, um, he had the whip, uh, like most lion tamers, and you kind of get that. There's the gun, you know, that's for when things don't go so well. Uh, but there was something that Clyde introduced that was new, and that was the chair. And what he would do is he'd take that chair and he'd point it at the lion. Now, if you've ever kind of seen that picture, you're like, well, what is it? What is the thing with the chair? Is that just to kind of keep him away? How does that work? Well, what the, he discovered was that the lion would have a very difficult time focusing on the four legs of the chair. And because he couldn't focus, the lion would just stay put. And a lot of times, that's how we look in our life as well. There's a lack of decisiveness that leads to paralysis. A lack of decisiveness in our life that leads to paralysis. A lack of focus that leads to paralysis. Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is talking, he says, be very careful. He's talking to the church. He says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Because why? Because the days are evil. What Paul is saying is, church, pay attention, focus, because there are many distractions that the world offers. This is not true. There are so many things that the world offers up as distractions. Pay attention. Proverbs 12, verse 24. The hand of the diligent will rule while the sloth will be put to forced labor. The hand of the diligent will rule. Jesus also teaches about talents that are to be invested for the glory of God and the good of the world. You're meant to do so to create a 
a structure, um, with a productive schedule. There are tons of resources out there that you can kind of find. You could just do a simple Google search of, of things that are going to help you. But I want to give you just kind of one exercise that I heard taught that I think is helpful. It's to take a blank sheet of paper, kind of like this, hold it horizontal. And at the top of that sheet of paper, uh, write out all the roles that God has given you in your life. So for me, uh, I have the role of husband, I have the role of father, I have the role of pastor, I have the role of teacher, I have the role of leader. I have these things, so I write them across the top. And then underneath each one of those categories, I begin to write out what are the responsibilities I have according to that role. What do I have to do as a husband? What do I have to do as a father? What do I have to do as a pastor, as a leader, as a, as a teacher? And you want to and then what you want to do is you want to take all that stuff and you want to match it up with your calendar, either paper or digital, however you do your calendar. And you begin to fit in the responsibilities that you have for your God-given roles for that week. Because you want to live your life by priority, not just simply proximity. You want to live your life by what is ultimately important, not just what is immediate. Because so often what happens is we do not live by priority, we live by proximity. We just kind of do the next thing that we bump into and we get distracted. If you look at the life of Jesus, he did not allow himself to get interrupted from his pride. All the time, people would walk up to Jesus. Jesus, I want to go with you, but first I have to bury the, my dead relatives. What does Jesus say? Let the dead bury the dead. Keeps walking. Jesus, I want to hang out with you. Where are we going to stay? He says, foxes have holes, not me. See ya. Keeps walking. But then Jesus will walk and he'll hear something like, son of David, have mercy on me. And he stops. You see, because that's in line with his strategic purpose. That's a priority for Jesus because you've recognized who I am. I am the Messiah and I am here to show mercy. And so he stops there and he allows himself to be seen by there because he lives his life by his priorities, not just by proximity. You have God-given roles and responsibilities and your activity and your schedule should be focused and structured on that. It does not mean you'll get everything on your list done. I don't know anybody who does that but it will allow you to flourish if you have a productive schedule. So that's the first path, a productive schedule. And then the first thing that you want to do with that path is you want to include a persistence in the scriptures. The second path is a persistence in the scriptures, a vibrant and directed devotional life. When I was in uh, Bible college, so I, when I graduated from college, I got saved that summer and then that, that very next fall, I went to, to Bible college. And one of the things that they had us do is after breakfast every morning, there was like a half hour slot where every person on campus was at their desk in their dorm room, Bible open, a devotional book open that they had given us, and then a notebook and a pen. And everybody, ha everybody was there at the same 30 minutes. And then you were, were, would spend that time in the Word with a devotional, with a journal, writing things out. And then when you left for class, people from the dean office would come and check to make sure that you did it, which was a little militant. But it was actually very helpful for me because it created structure and created order and created a rhythm and a pattern to be persistent in the scriptures. So what, if what we let our minds sit in will be what our hearts are set on, and that's what we'll chase, we need to be loading our minds with thoughts of God so it stirs our affection for God so that we'll walk in step with God. If your walk with God consists of you just constantly trying not to think about the things that you shouldn't think about, like, okay, don't think about her, don't think about him, don't think about what I just watched, don't think about what I just said, don't think about how angry I am, don't think about how I won't forgive them, don't think about for how much I'm coveting or how much I'm greeting. If that is your walk with God, you already know what a failure that is. 
So we need to think like the old paths that the Puritans took. How do I dislodge a rival affection from my heart? I replace it with a more beautiful thing. One of our early church fathers, Augustine, was a sex addict. And when he heard about Jesus, he didn't want anything to do with him because he said, if Jesus threatens my addiction, then, then that I don't want anything to do with him. But as he continued as an addiction, he could see that he was not experiencing life. And he stumbles onto the book of Romans and he reads that the mind that's set on flesh is death, but the mind that's set on the spirit is life. And, and peace came over Augustine and he wrote this in his confessions. Listen to what he wrote. Oh, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys I once so feared to lose. You drove them from me, you who are the true sovereign joy. You drove them from me and took their place, O oh Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, my salvation. You see, the Bible does not present God as this cosmic killjoy. He says he is a fountain of life. He's a treasure worth selling everything for. In his presence is fullness of joy. So create the time and space to be persistent in the scriptures. I have a friend who sets these alarms on his phone. He's got three or four alarms that he sets for five minutes each on his phone. And he tries not to schedule any meetings in his day around when he knows those alarms are going to take place. But every time those alarms come out on his phone, he excuses himself and he goes away and he either takes scripture with him or a thought of God or he just uses it to be still and quiet before the Lord. And he never breaks those appointments. He has a legitimate appointment with God at those times. He's like, most people in my office think I have irritable bowel syndrome, but that's okay. But he uses that time every day. So find something that is attainable, Find something that is actionable and find something that is accountable, meaning find something that you can actually do. If you leave here and you're like, that's it, I'm going to read the whole Bible every morning. That's what I'm going to do. No, you cannot do that. Find something that you can actually do. Find something that you will do and find something that is accountable, that you can see that you've done. That's why for a lot of people, they use journals because they can go back and they can look and they can see what they, what they wrote. Now, here's the thing. Your life already has a particular rhythm and a particular path. Statistically speaking, for most of us, when we wake up, the first thing you do is check your phone. Maybe check email, social media, news feed, whatever. And all I'm just saying is rather than just trying to turn your whole life upside down, just in, interject into your pattern uh, the, the scriptures. So maybe the very first thing that you open is the Bible app right there. Open the Bible app, scripture of the day. You're at least starting with the word of God right there. Tim, Tim Keller, who's a pastor and author, he says, the most important thing for a Christian is a habitual reading of the scriptures. Over time, the word just gets in you. And over a lifetime, this can shape your soul. And what you don't understand, maybe you do understand, is you're already being shaped. You're, all very, you're already being shaped and formed by what you put in, by what you take in. Take in the scriptures, be formed like that. If you want to be in the form of Jesus, you need to know what Jesus is like. You need to know him through his word. So put together a productive schedule that, it, that includes a persistence in the scriptures. We're going to move quickly now. The, the third path is have a positive outlet. Now, here, here's why this is important. We're not going to spend a ton of time here. Humans are hardwired for pleasure. You're hardwired for pleasure. It's how God has designed us. Now, what happens when you go, 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 and your schedule never stops, and you reach this point of exhaustion, at that moment, the enemy will solicit to you a way or an oasis for pleasure. 
And it'll be an illicit relationship. It'll be like an illicit way of interacting with your TV or the internet. It'll be an illicit way that you indulge or overindulge or food or drink or substance. It'll be a reckless way that you spend money just trying to find comfort, trying to pacify in your exhaustion. So you need to ask yourself, how do I seek pleasure in a way that restores my soul? Psalm 23 says, Jesus is a shepherd who leads us to green pastures, makes us lie down by still waters. If you want to be led by Jesus, you need to be lied down, laid down in, is it lied or laid? Who knows? In, in, those, in those places and in those moments, you need to find soul restoring rest. We've got some pastors around here, they like to do hiking or working on cars or gardening or reading. I, I play basketball with a group of guys. None of us are any good, but it's a time, well, one is good, but he's 23, so it doesn't matter. But it's a way for us, it's a way for us to have a time restoring. So you need to have productive schedule, persistence in the scriptures, positive outlet, and you need protective saints. You need to have protective saints. A way for your life to flourish is to have godly people around you. It's all throughout the Bible. Galatians 5 says, let us keep in step with the Spirit. 2 Timothy 2.22, Paul's talking to this young man and he says, flee youthful passions, pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Philippians 3.17, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, just as, you have, just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. In the New American Standard, it's the word observe, where it comes from a Greek word scopos, where we get the word scope. He's saying scope out older people that are living a life that's like a life that you want to live. But before my wife and I had kids, there were people in a church that I saw that had like good kids, or they seemed to be decent parents, and their kids were like not demonic and like could be actual humans. And I was and so I would spend time trying to talk to them, like, well, what are you doing as a parent? What, what are some of the types of things that you do? So find people around you that can spur on to good deeds. James talks about confessing your sin one to another so that you may be healed. Some of you, you're very sick because you keep a lot of secrets. And some of you have been sick a long time. David says in the Psalms, when I held back my sin, my strength was sapped like in the heat of summer. We confess to God, yes, and he forgives you, and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But James is saying, if you want healing, confess to one another and pray for each other that you'd be healed. So who can you unite with? Who can you fight alongside and confess and pray? There's another aspect of this, of this too. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 145.4. One generation commends your work to another and they tell of your mighty acts. And I, what, the reasons I love that is the reason, one of the reasons that I just absolutely love the local church is because those who are younger have an opportunity to be shaped by those who are older and those who are older actually have an opportunity to be shaped by those who are younger. Through, through their service, Psalm 78, 4, we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders that he has done. If you don't feel very vibrant in your spiritual life, it could be because you're not investing in somebody else. We flourish when we serve others in ways that help them become fully alive under God. Two minutes for the last one. You need protective saints, and then most of all, you need the presence of the Holy Spirit. You need the presence of the Holy Spirit. When I think about this church in 2020, when we pray as a leadership team for this church, we think about the, the persistence in the scriptures, the word of God, and we think about prayer, the presence of the Holy Spirit. Those are, if there were two things, we just had some kind of magic wand, say, of this church, what do we want said in the next year? It would be those two things. 
And you might be listening to all this and you're like, okay, I mean, I got a good schedule. I think I'm reading the Bible all right. I got people in my life. I got a positive outlet, but my heart still feels cold. When Paul talks to the Romans and he talks about what Jesus has done, how he's moved us from darkness to light, and he says, you're set free. But then Paul starts to talk about the Spirit of God. And he said that, you, that God has actually put his Spirit in you and that you should set your mind on the Spirit. In the Old Testament, we just went through this in Exodus. When the people are given the law under Moses, they see it written down. And the people say, all that it says, we will do. And God's like, if only you could. If only you had that heart in you. So the prophets began to talk of a day where the wind would blow again and the Spirit of God would return and he would animate us. And according to Ezekiel, he would, he would move us to obey the decrees of God that we wouldn't just have the truth in our heads, but it'd be written on our hearts and our hearts would cry out, Abba, Father. And when Jesus dies on the cross, he took all our sin and shame away. He rose from the grave, conquering Satan, sin, and death. And the first thing that he did was breathe on the disciples and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. And that intimate, animating presence of God is back. And as you load yourself with the thoughts of God, you, through prayer, invite the Spirit of God to move and transfer those thoughts into affection for God so that you can live the life that you were meant to do. Galatians chapter 5 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit is these things. If you want to eat an apple... How long does it take you to grow an apple on your arm? Like, ah, golden delicious, come on. No, if you want an apple, you go to an apple tree. Galatians says the fruit of love, joy, peace comes from the spirit. You can't grow it. You ever try to make yourself love someone who's just super difficult to love? You're just like, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you. No, your, your affections are that out of control. You can't do it. But you're supposed to do it. It's the greatest commandment. Love God, heart, soul, and mind. Love other people like you love yourself. So what do you do? You got to pray like Augustine. He said, command me, God, but give me what you command. God, guide me, direct me, tell me what to do. But give me what I need so that I can actually do it. Tell me to love, but fill me up with your spirit. And as I load my mind with scripture like gasoline on a flame, I need your spirit to light up my affection for you and a genuine love and affection for other people. Light me up with love and joy and peace that only you can provide. Grow in me the fruit of self-control that I don't have. Grow in me gentleness and kindness so that, Galatians 5.25, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step. So in 2020, let's take these old paths so that we will keep in step. And he will put the love in your heart for others that you don't have. He'll put the peace in your life that surpasses understanding because the word of God is in your mind and the spirit of God is breathing life into you and the community of God is spurring you on and stirring you up. So let us together live by the spirit and keep in step with the spirit. In this new year, let us return to these old paths. Take a step with us. My hope and prayer again for this church this year is that we know more of God's word that we grow in our love for each other, our neighbors, the least, the last, the lost. And we're prayerfully dependent on the Holy Spirit in every aspect of our lives. Let's pray and ask God to help us with this. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for this time you give us together. God, I pray um, that this would not feel like defeat or a reminder of our failure, but God, that we would be encouraged 
God, knowing that you are for us and not against us. And God, the things that you've laid out for us and the way that you intend for us to live truly is the best life, God, because it's a life that keeps in step with you for our joy and your glory. Thank you, Jesus. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.